if you're going to enable your host-based firewalls, the best thing you can do is say, these are the network ranges for my systems management servers that are going to go and manage desktops. All right, guys, I got to stop you for a second. Technical issue. I hit the live button. Then I refreshed, and now it's telling me we're not live. And I checked it on my other computer, and it's saying we're not live. So my browser lied to me. I'm going to go get a drink of water. (laughs) Yeah. I can't repeat all that. Oh, I, I boy. couldn't say all that if I wanted to. We're definitely know. professionals here. We've <laughs> <laughs> definitely done this before. We are tip of the spear, okay? I, I, I saw a comment again. in a live chat that made it look like we were live. <laughs> I think this is maybe the first time, though, this has happened, so that's good. Yeah. I'm all right. I, just kidding. I see that we're live now. Are okay. we live? I've got confirmation on my second laptop. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I checked it as well I, I typically don't but this time I did yeah. alright so let's just repeat everything from scratch John you know what? Know. Today? <laughs> I'm used to saying the same things in security over and oh, over right. and over oh. again I got this alright oh. All right. alright right, so cue the music and then I'll take off after there yeah I just got a notification we're live oh sweet here's music do that Feels it's uh the glitch in the matrix. Oh, no, this is not glitch. doing good right now. Did we just see that black cat? <laughs> just came back again. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Black Hills Information Security talking about news. Um, so I had a whole bunch of articles set up, and as I was going through the articles, the articles were all about the like solar flare attack and solar winds. I don't feel like talking about that today because it's not that interesting to me anymore. And then the other news articles that we started delving into were like ransomware hitting yet another hospital. And I I don't feel like talking about that today either. So I had a whole bunch of like tools that I wanted to talk about, but we threw that all out the window because in the pre-show... And then the pre pre warm up. We warmed up pre warm up. In the warm up, we, just... we talked about Windows firewalls, which I know a lot of you are listening to this thinking, wow, that sounds sexy. Yeah, it is. Um, and we want to talk about firewalls for a couple of reasons. Um, one, it's one of the more feared things that you can turn on in your network that scares pen testers. And we want to talk about that a little bit. The other thing that we want to talk about is there's a number of different tools that are available to you to actually manage your Windows firewalls in your environment. So kind of a couple of quick axioms we like to throw around associated with Windows Firewall is number one, um, treat your internal network as hostile because it is. Um, Your internal network should be more secure than if a user has gone to Starbucks. Whenever you sit down at Starbucks, it pops up and it says, hey, I see a new network. Do I trust the systems on this network? And you're like, no. And it's like, okay. It goes to work and it's like, anyone can connect to me. Please connect to me over RPC and SMB. And it just lowers the firewall so any workstation can talk to each other, and that's not necessary uh, whatsoever. Also, it doesn't necessarily have to be hard. I want to talk about that a little bit. But before we get too crazy into this, I want to throw it over to Ralph. Ralph, in the pre-show, you had mentioned that firewalls are the stuff of nightmares for many penetration testers. How often do we actually come across organizations that have their internal firewalls turned on on their workstation? Uh, Very little amount of times. In fact, most recently, I have actually been using host-based firewalls to make my attack better. 
right? And I'll give you the simple example. Typically, when you have these endpoint detection systems and other stuff, and I do get on this box, I'll disable the alerting for those systems entirely so that I can move around and I will use the host-based firewall to accomplish that task without causing more alerts, without continuing the escalation. And just, you know, I can use it against you because they don't use it at all, period, right? Um, and they're not monitoring. That, and, and I want to clarify what you're saying. What you're saying is you get on an environment. They don't have any firewall rules at all. You change those rules to sh- disable their alerting, basically creating a NetSH firewall where you're dropping the yep. alert going to their sensor. So yep. you're literally, because they're not using their firewall, <laughs> you might as well use it, right? Exactly, because it's a great tool in the arsenal of things that are built into Windows, right? So why not use what I got? And I know there's people listening to this who are like, got it. Ralph says <laughs> to disable my firewalls because attackers use it. That's not that's what, not, that's what I heard. That's not what that's I heard. What, that's what Rob heard. That's, so he's disabling <laughs> firewalls in his lab. I need to remove that feature. Um, it is, it's, a, it's a vulnerability now. That's, that's what I've said. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so when we're looking at it, one of the main key components that you have in a Windows environment is NetSH ADV firewall. Um, so if you're running from the command line, the command to actually turn on is NetSH ADV firewall set up mode disable um, oh, or any right. um, <laughs> older system. And then it's NetSH ADV firewall set all profile state on or off for Windows 7 or later. Sorry, I've got this like tattooed on a part of my body. I'll show you guys later if you want. Never mind. Um, I use this actually, can I set up like a time for that? Yeah, because this. Personal one. Yeah. I can see I jump on the camera and there's Jason. He's like, do it slowly. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's the stuff. Um, but the point is, there's a number of different articles that are out there. If you just Google enable Windows firewalls with group policy, there's like four or five TechNet articles that go through how to utilize this in your environment. And Rob, correct me if I'm wrong. But isn't isn't it that most products that you can buy to manage your Windows fire your firewalls they actually are just somewhat pretty and somewhat less functional front ends for NetSH? Yeah. There you have it. <laughs> you you asked me a yes or no question. Like what do you expect? He was just hoping you'd elaborate. That's all. Uh, elaborate on what? Oh crap! Here we go. And a lot of them are crap, and I would agree with that. And even at that, the, the built-in firewall on Windows is a train wreck. If you actually have it go through and log connections, it actually logs every TCP packet that it sends, um, which is totally not helpful. Um, and then, but the what thing is here is, the, th- the thing here is not, not that you need... It's not... So the scary part is that it's super complex, right? Like... You can do a million and one things from blocking a process from starting to blocking a connection from happening or or blocking a sin from happening from a specific host and domain. Like you can go super complex with this thing. The problem is that people see that complexity and back off. Right. And honestly, you only need a few things um, to, to make the firewall effective. And the, the sad part is, that if you Google, so the biggest part is to make all networks public. Yep. So by saying that every network is public, even in, even moving your domain network to public is 
is how you enable quote unquote the Windows firewall. Because when you're on the domain uh, network profile, you're open to the world. Like this, the, it really doesn't do anything. Um, but when you're on it's when you're on the public profile, it actually blocks all incoming, which is great. Um, so anytime you see new network detected, would you like to enable sharing on this network? You should always say no, no matter yep. what network you're on. And Choose the, the park so, bench. Choose <laughs> the park bench. <laughs> so the sad thing is, if you Google for how to make everything public, it says, how do you change a public to a private? How do you change a public to, like, how do you get away from that public profile? And actually switching, going the opposite way is, is for some reason not really talked about right yeah and um in setting every profile to to private or to public i'm sorry is is how you enable that so that hands down is literally the only thing you need to do right like if you want to if you want to make it so that your windows firewall does its job on workstations and laptops and desktops that's all you have to do period and and then kind of your next step from that and this gets into network architecture, where we're talking about actually implementing it. Um, a lot of people think it's difficult. It's not. But there are some organizations where it is difficult, where their network architecture sucks. Um, I'll give you an example. There was a company we were working with, and they had offices in like Hong Kong. They had offices in London. They had offices in New York and L.A. And I was like, great. All you need to do is say, here's the network range for all of our servers, for the main controllers, exchange servers. Um, SCCM servers, any servers that need to touch the workstation. Um, you can even put help desk if you need to in there, or you can have a jump post. You have those systems have rules that are allowed that any of those systems can talk to your workstations. So you have everything is set to public. And then you say, these are the IP addresses that are allowed inbound connections. And they got real quiet. And they're like, yeah, we can't do that. And I said, why? I said, well, we're, we're a flat network. And I'm like, well, what, what does that mean? Well, we have one of our domain controllers in Hong Kong, our exchange servers in, in London, and then our other servers are in Los Angeles, and it's on the same IP network range as our workstations. We just basically handed them out IP addresses with those systems. In that situation, yeah, that sucks. Uh, but if your organization has even the semblance of network architecture, it should be pretty easy for you to say, these are the servers that need to touch the workstations these rules allow those to touch the workstations and it's not that difficult for most organizations. And even then, I'm sorry, but even then you honestly don't mm. need that many servers touching the workstations. Almost everything oh, in enterprises these days are pull. Like you, the workstation yep. will go out and get things. So I would yep. say that be very, very cautious about allowing anything in to the workstations directly that allows lateral movement. And, and it's kind of, you're saying this very politely, but it's almost like sometimes people use that as an excuse for just not doing it, right? Like, we have like seven, eight IP addresses all over the place that need to talk to our workstations. It's like, that would take us, what, an, an hour to create those rules? Maybe oh, 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah, we can't do that. Um, well, what yeah. if it breaks something? What if it breaks something? What? Yeah, what so if it we, breaks something? Hold on, hold on. Before that that excuse right there yeah what if it breaks something that's uh -huh. the problem is yep. is mm. that the concept that it's going to break something so i don't want to use my political capital because uh, I, ha I have other pro projects that i want to get approved i don't want to lose my political capital in this organization on something that i can avoid 
right? Yep. And that's where the problem is. Not not, not it's complex. Not it's going to be hard. Not a, that's all BS. I, like I'm excusing myself. It's all the political capital. I'm going to lose it because it's going to quote unquote break things. Rob, and I that, hear what you're saying, but what happens if it breaks something? Why <laughs> <laughs> male models? You you test it. <laughs> You could do that too. You could test it on a non workstation, right? Like you can roll this out. Uh, now we're up to like twenty two minutes. Oh, so true. Yeah. No, all you ha- all you have to do is do selective rollout, just like yeah. every DevOps person. Everything in like uh, everything that's been in DevOps, like the very first thing Amazon does this is is selected rollout. You say this is my first range. I'm going to roll it out. If it doesn't work, I'm going to be on call and I'm going to roll it back. And and you work towards it, like maintenance uh, windows are all over the place, right? On purpose for this exact thing. And there's ways that we can do that. Like, if, if okay, so organizations that do it correctly, they roll it out to their security team first, right? You're going to have like a group for your security team, and then you can roll it out to help desk, roll it out to systems administrators, roll it out to the people who are technically competent. Instead of calling you up on help desk and saying, "Yeah, my computer's not working." I need some details. You can actually roll it out to those groups first. And then if you're, a co- if you're an organization that is spread across the entire like, globe, this is a weird thing to say, but there's going to be different pockets of, of infrastructure and groups of people that you like working with. And then there's going to be groups that you hate, right? So like, if you have a group, let's say in Kansas, it's an amazing group. Things blow up and they're like, don't worry about it, Rob. It's fine. We understand you're doing your best. Would you like a cookie? Those are great groups to roll it out to first. And then you have other groups. Let's say you have a German group, right? And if anything goes wrong, you change the font on my desktop. (laughs) Um, Those will be the last groups that you roll it out to. And what this buys you is it rolls it out to the technical people to give you feedback and address fixes quickly and easily first. And then the other thing it buys you for that political capital that Rob was just talking about is by the time you get to Germany, and if something goes wrong, you could be like, well, Nancy with the cookies in Kansas thought it was just fine. And if she can do it and Bill up in New York and what about Timmy? Timmy over there in Florida. He didn't have a problem. <laughs> oh, so it I hear moves the narrative of why isn't it working for you, group of people who are evil? It's not like it's broken <laughs> for the entire organization. Uh, on this topic, too, I always think about password policy that's the one i also hear an amazing amount of pushback on um when you recommend a longer password it's like i mean i might as well have just told them that you know they were going to have to convince everyone (laughs) in the company this is a good idea what's that rob you said something I said, have you seen my email this morning? Uh, um. Oh, my God. I looked at it. and It was more than three sentences. And I'm like, I hope somebody else responds to Rob. (laughs) So um, I've gone down the I I know we wanted to talk about Windows Firewall, but I've gone down the password policy route at a very large organization. Right. And I agree that that's a hard one to roll out. However, you make it their decision and you would you would see how fast people jump at the option of having long passwords how do you make it their decision though so essentially what you do is you set up group policies you set up um uh a group policy for quote-unquote insecure or or bad or horrible people and then you say um (laughs) then you have 
Then you have medium security, high security, and then sysadmins. So the first low security one, you have eight to nine character passwords. But what happens is at that eight to nine uh, character password level, they have to change it every 30 days. Um, and it also it locks into their SSO where it logs them out after eight hours. So they are having a hard time just getting work done. But you make it very clear that you can get up to the medium level at at uh, 12 to 13 characters at that 12 to 13 character mark where that minimum is set for that password policy. They get 24 hours of on uh, of SSO time and they can stay on the VPN for 48 hours or whatever. And then. And their password only gets has to get set every 90 days. Then they get up to that 15 character mark, that high security mark, and they can stay in and logged in for a week. Or and their password doesn't have to change for, you know, a full year. Then you make that advertisement and say, hey, you can be in any security model that you want. It is their decision on how much of a pain they want to go through. And then you will see how fast people jump to that 15 character mark. I've got to say, this is, this is, I, would you have ever came up with this idea if you weren't a parent? Because this seems <laughs> like, so you want to play Xbox. In yeah. Xbox, you've got to get all your homework done. You got to do the yeah. dishes and your room's got to be clean. It's like, oh, you want to stay up watching Naratu or it might be mis- mispronouncing it. Well, in that case, you're going to do all of the things to get you the Xbox. And because it's anime, I'm going to make you run two miles a day because I don't want to break your neck beard. Um, I wonder how much that's actually from, from, from like you having kids. So the MC actually made a, a question about log on hours being a huge pain in the monitor. We didn't do log on hours on AD. We did it in the SSO. So what? So one log on or or um, what's the other one? Okta. They have session timeouts. Almost every uh, SSO provider has session timeout options. So you put the session timeout in that SSO, not in AD, because that's, I agree, totally pain in the butt. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, kind of, you know, it's funny, we were, we're kind of moving over to passwords now, because what the hell, we can talk about whatever we want to, who needs an agenda? Um, my, my, <laughs> favorite, my favorite one was, uh, I, I think I've said this story to you two before, we had a customer, a very large, well-known brand name customer, and their password policy was set to seven characters across their entire environment. Well, and, that's all of that. That's all yeah. that one organization asked for, right? Seven. That's yeah. it. That's the minimum. For anyone who doesn't know, the minimum, number. the minimum password policy is eight characters. So this is a special setting that you have to change. This is not the default. default. <laughs> yeah. Actually, go back. Um, yes. This happened. Well, I've so, worked in infosec long enough to where I have like a thirty-two character password because you all freaked me out. <laughs> X. Perfect. Now we just need your sweet, sweet OAuth tokens. Um, but, uh, it's, it's just interesting how the pushback is so visceral. Um, and we had one organization that had once again, weak passwords and the organization wanted to increase them. I think it was to 15 characters and, uh, they were at like 10 and they, you know, I got on a webcast like this and I was telling everyone, this is why we want to go to 15. Here's how it's going to improve security. It's not that difficult. Correct horse battery staple type things. And this one lady like, you know, raised her virtual hand. And she said, well, this is going to significantly increase my workload. And the CEO jumped in immediately and said, I'm asking you to type five more characters in the morning. Exactly what percentage of your workload increase does this do to you? Like, are we talking 
a, those five characters, is that a 20% increase in your workload? Because if so, we need to have a conversation about what you're doing all day long. And I just about died. And yeah. there were no more questions uh, after that. Everyone <laughs> just like, went right in line. And they're like, no, this is fine. Thank you. I have one more password thing is we were doing that webcast on password policy last year or the year before. And one of the people who were watching said they trained their entire help desk and staff who do password questions to change it to, can I, when someone's like, Hey, I need to change my password. They're like, I can help you change your passphrase. (laughs) Just changing the way the terms are. Yeah. And it just became this thing throughout the organization. The culture was, I can help you with your passphrase. I can help you change your passphrase whenever someone talked about passwords. And all of a sudden, it made it a lot easier to talk about passphrases because so people got used to the term. Yeah. So the other thing that we did at the organization um, was we generated a password generator for them that would do the correct horse battery staple style uh, passwords. So we had a interface on our wiki that you could go and say, generate me a password. And it was all all in JavaScript. It would do it very easily for you but it was always like word dash word dash word dash word um and like even if you know what every word in that dictionary is even if you had the source code for that generator it would still make it very hard for you to um crack the password um Mm -hmm. is this when we talk about the new supercomputers that the countries are creating quantum computer Did you guys drop lose Rob? Uh, yeah, I think so. Just audio. It's not just he's me. gone. It's not yeah. just me. Thank I'm God. still here. Oh, oh there you back. are. There he is. Crap. It is still just me. <laughs> Sorry. What, what about, so the other thing too, that I think about when I think about passwords and not to harp about how dumb passwords are, but uh, password managers, right? So secrets managers, it, it seems like there's been a slow rollout for that. And I don't know just on these environments, it seems like why don't people have, you know, secret managers or some other kind of device for logging into their system. So they have a unique password for every login, right? Why try to remember the same password that's really long all the time, right? Why not just use your last pass or your one pass or the other 17 other products out there that can do that, right? Because um, logging into my workstation doesn't support last pass and one password because I sure. still have to be logged into it when it's locked out. Yep. Yep. I mean, you could use, uh, what is it? And I, know, um, I know what Rob just said basically sounds like we're asking them to authenticate twice. <laughs> he is. But there are people out there that's like, wait, I have to log into my workstation, then I have to log into LastPass? Well, that's just poppy. Um, it's- also, also, password managers are, are difficult and to use. And while all of us, I, I can see the cringe happening on all of your faces right now, because um, you're like, oh no, it isn't. It's totally easy for password managers. Like, go ahead and go ask your um your significant other. Well, Erica, <laughs> next I already know the answer like, to that question. Trust right? me. Trust me. Like, I, like yep. ask, ask ask anyone born in in the last century to <laughs> to use a password manager that isn't in IT, and it's actually pretty hard for them to understand. Like. Why do I have to open this other program? How do I get the, the password over from this one to that one? Oh, I, it can show me the password, but now I have to type all of it. Like, <laughs> right. So it's really hard. Like I tried to get my mother 
to use a password manager and honestly just having to write it down in a book was a million times easier and that's why even with it like she works she is actually an it manager right right now like and she doesn't know know how to use the password manager you know what's funny is a lot of people rip on the book thing they're like well it's better than writing it in a book for some people, no, nah, the book actually is more secure. I, I, do, I mean, you know, oh, you might have ninjas that break into your house and steal your book. Yes. <laughs> yeah. My threat profile. So. I, I, so it is funny about that. So I've done a lot of physical engagements. And when we get inside the building, the first thing that I go do is I will look for passwords written on notes on all the desks. So I will sure. start going through just looking at and you would be surprised how many sensitive credentials I find. And to your point, Rob, about that, that's how people operate sometimes. And typically it's right on their keyboard or right on a sticky note on their monitor. Um, It happens all the time. And we have to write up about clean desk policies about how you shouldn't do that. So, But you're not going to look through, rifle through every single notebook that's in in their drawers, right? Like, Yeah. No, I, I, I'm not going to go to their house either. That's another thing too. I don't want to throw the the baby out with the bathwater here. Like I, I, it's still a good idea to use the notebook as long as you just don't put it on a sticky note on the middle of your screen to use. Right? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, a, a lot of this kind of gets me to a quote that I read yesterday uh, from Henry Ford, and he said basically, if I asked everyone what they wanted, they would have asked me to develop a faster horse. And I wonder how much of this, like even when we're talking about firewalls, the topic at the beginning, you know, uh, how much of the problems that we run into are actual problems from a technological perspective and how much of it is an educational problem? So if you're looking at firewalls, you know, firewalls don't have to be difficult. You know, you don't have to make it the most difficult thing. Like Rob was saying, you can convert TCP connections on one side and tunnel via IPv6 out the other side. You can do amazing stuff with NetSH80. but you don't use 99.9% of it to actually secure a workstation. Whenever you're talking about training people to use LastPass, yes, that is difficult. But I also remember very, very, very clearly back in 2000, whenever we were working with a government agency, um, Department of Interior, and we were upgrading their systems from your old, uh, like, you know, like, you know, kind of your old standard, uh, you know, like systems that it was all text-based. And they had no mouse and we gave them a mouse and they freaked out. Right. They were like, what the hell am I supposed to do with this thing? And I'm like, well, that's a mouse. You click over here. And there was an uproar about it. So how much of this actually is education? And then you also have that feedback. The more people use it, the more the products get better. Because I agree with Rob. If you sit down with a lot of grandparents, you're like, hey, we want to show you how to use LastPass today. So the first thing we're going to have to do is create a two-factor authentication on your phone. It's like, what? With a wahoozy? I got to have this two-factor and I have to have a password to get to my freaking passwords. It, it, it sounds absolutely absurd. But once people change their minds, and it goes back to what Jason said, you want me to help you with your passphrase? How much of that is just like an education thing and training people how to use like the next mouse or the kind of, you know, using passphrases instead? I mean, yeah, that's that's why I'm I'm really uh, amped about um, the password managers being integrated into um, into their people's phones. Like mm. when when um, Apple started storing your credentials for different websites as a password manager 
and mm-hmm. suggesting randomized ones built into the phone and same with Google. Like that is the that is the culture change that we needed, right? Password managers when they're when they're tough to use, right? They're when they're other software, it's harder. When they're built into the thing that you use every day anyways, right? Yep. Your phone. They or are if you're so using much phone and yeah. they sync between your phone and your browser automatically with your profile. Yeah. But so, I I, I got one other point. Sometimes I just don't want to remember the password, so I reset it every single time. At, <laughs> the ads. That's what my wife does all the time. Just always reset it. Like I have no idea. I'll just reset it. Yeah. So, <sighs> to your point, Rob, about the integration, <laughs> I set my my wife up with one password, and she re- like almost refused to use it. And then I'd be like, "Why didn't you save it in there? Now we have to reset the password or whatever it may be." And Apple eventually rolled out with the integrated password manager. And she just started using that, like, because it just worked. Like, it was just yeah. already in there. And, and I agree with you. And that became just like, oh, well, I don't have to think about the password. It's just saved in this, you know, it's ubiquitous. Um, and so I think we need more of that. Yeah. All right, well, we covered a lot of ground today. <laughs> like, I, I don't know about you guys, but I feel better. I feel uh, better. <laughs> if anything, because no, the whole the whole topic of fight, like I think you know the class that we have coming up, the intro to security class. I took like top ten easy things. It's actually we did eleven in honor of Spinal Tap, and it doesn't necessarily have to be difficult, right? And I, I, I think you know, kind of you know, if we're talking about passwords or we're talking about firewalls, I think that in security we have this tendency to try to make things as complicated as we possibly can because I, I think it gives us power, right? Whenever we're sitting and we're talking to people about computer security and we're talking about all these intricate complexities of X509 certificates and, you know, how these different things work, it feels good, right? Like, you know, something that other people don't know. And sometimes it feels good because you're going to share it with people. But usually what it does is just freak people right the hell out. So sometimes we've got to boil it back to basics and say, look, you really want to stop an attacker. Use a long and strong password. And like Rob mentioned, you can actually incentivize people to do that. Like, you know, like Jason mentioned, we can change the terminology of what we do. And as Ralph mentioned, making a pen tester's life hell is as simple as turning on your host-based firewalls on your environment. So don't try to make things harder than they actually need. And I also believe that security people, as I said, make these things worse because we try to make it sound more complicated because it makes us feel better about what we know. That's to say that, you know, computer security isn't complicated. It is. But the things that matter, they're actually pretty simple for us to actually implement as well. So I think that's it for the news. Uh, Any final things, folks, before we drop off? Nope. Nope. Good to hear. That was the news with no news whatsoever. We We didn't talk about solar winds. Thank God. All right. That wind has sailed. Yes. <laughs> Let us know when it's over. Are we done yet? <laughs> and cut. Are we done yet? That's a great way to end it. Are yeah. we done yet? Let me know when it's over. It's over. <laughs>